HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Life's a Banquet, the show about the highs and lows of all things edible, spreadable, and Nicole. Horrible. That's right, bitch. <laughs> Welcome, I'm Zara. Who are you? I'm Nicole. Sup? All right. Sup? Yo, it's almost everyone's kind of favorite holiday. There are many people that love this holiday. I am in it for the stuffing, for the butter. For the unbuttoning of my pants publicly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's going on? What's new with you? I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. Oh my god, so much has happened. I can't even, I don't even know where to begin, but I'll begin with the most recent hilarious thing that happened, which is, well, it's not hilarious, but it is hilarious. Great, I can't wait to hear it. Um, Am I right, listeners? <laughs> sounds awesome. Um, so I cooked some chili in my house, <gasps> and it's made my house smell like chili, which is like fine, but also kind of like, eh. Sucks. So I boiled, I also like squeezed a bunch of lemons to make lemon juice, so I boiled the lemons with some eucalyptus oil nice. to like make my house smell good. And, yeah. But then I started reading a book and got really distracted, and the whole thing boiled down and burnt <laughs> so badly <laughs> that now my house smells like charred lemon char. And it's fucking, it's so, it's like one of the things that you can't get out of your house. You have to like boil uh, vinegar to get it out. Yo, and it that sucks. smells <laughs> terrible. And it's 
hilarious. And then it gets even better. So then I had a little bit of vinegar uh-huh. in my house. So I was like, oh, I'll just boil some of this vinegar to kind of no. help. I mean, it does actually help. I know. I'm just picturing you now you've burnt the vinegar. I did. Yeah. Okay. So there was just like a small amount of vinegar and it was boiling and it just, it boiled so fast. It did, I was like, yeah. I actually sat in the kitchen so it wouldn't happen again. But it fucking did. I was like, uh oh, it smells weird again. And I go over there and it's just like a brown crust in the bottom of the pan, no. completely dry. Dude. And so now it's a combination of burnt vinegar and burnt lemon smell. Get a hold of yourself. In my house. Yeah, I wasn't even drinking. I was fucking sober. And you did start the fire. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe next time you start <laughs> boiling something, you should be drunk. Oh. Right? Because then you're like really hyper aware. focused. Yeah. Like, like, I'm like, oh yeah. I'm drunk. I can't burn the house down. <laughs> Yo, that's very funny. Oh, God. That's silly of you. I know. Yeah. That's I a silly mistake. Consciously, maybe just did it for a story on the podcast. <laughs> it just, like, it smells so bad. It permeates every part of your house. Yeah. One website recommended that you replace your entire cabinet set because there's no way to get uh, the burnt smell out of the wood. No. <laughs> I think you need to just move. I should move. Yeah. Or just burn the apartment But more. I can't afford <laughs> This is the cheapest apartment in New York City. I have to stay there forever. That's true. Damn it. I guess you're going to have to get new cabinets. That's expensive. I'm not going to get new cabinets. I'm just mm. going to boil vinegar until my eyes burn, and then hopefully <laughs> that will work. Essentially what happens is the acetic acid like neutralizes the odor ions in the air. I just had this thought. You know when like sometimes, I don't, I don't remember what this is from, but you know when you have like a pest in your house, like you have like a mouse, so you get a cat, but then like the cat starts acting terribly, so you gotta have to get like a dog, but then the dog is like gone crazy, so you gotta get a bear. And then all of a sudden there's like tons of animals in your house. A bear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the point of this is to say that I think you should get a bear. Okay. Well, All right. I will. Okay, good. I have plenty of space. Perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, I just got back from Italy. Yes, Speaking Italy. of bears, I was in Italy. <laughs> exactly. I just got back from a trip to Italy. I said, Amare Battaglia, what are your problems? She's like, I'm going to Italy for two weeks. <laughs> and I was like, can I please have your car while you're gone? <laughs> um, so, I went to Italy. I was in Tuscany for a spot of work. Some consulting I've been doing over there. I had an amazing, fun time. Spent uh, spent time with my friends Alex and David, a brother and sister duo who have a beautiful <laughs> house in the rural hills of Tuscany, mm-hmm. and their family is great, and uh, very special thanks to my friend Dave for taking an entire week off of doing what he would normally do, which is God knows what, to spend time with me and show me around. <laughs> it was very fun. We had an amazing time. I laughed, I cried, I ate a lot of bread. And a lot of mortadella. In fact, I'm breaking out, which never happens. And I've been curious about why. I'm like, is it the funk and the farts I got covered in from the plane? Mm. Is it all of the bread I ate? Is it maybe a higher level of mortadella in my bloodstream? <laughs> Who's to say? Also, I, I wore a mortadella like face mask one night. I just uh, bit the eye holes in the mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could be it. That could be it. Very greasy. <clears throat> Very greasy. <laughs> but it was fun. And I cooked a lot of stuff. And... Uh, I drove around. It rained every single day I was there. Is it the rainy season? It must be. <laughs> Haven't you seen Venice is completely underwater? Oh, yeah. I heard that on the radio. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's what I'm doing. Now I'm back. I have a, the three H's. Uh, heartbreak, hangover, hunger. Huh. Uh, oh, ha. Huh. And ha. Huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a you. <laughs> that's basically uh, my defining, my three defining H's of life. Great. Cool. This is awkward. Should we move on? I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm leaving now. <laughs> I'm moving. I'm going to burn your rest of your apartment down. All right. Um, so we have a Thanksgiving sewed? Yeah. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? 
Uh, well, well, actually, we're doing a Middle Eastern Thanksgiving at my oh, mom's house. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty chill. Um, we were gonna do Chinese Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I ran it by Bobby, my mom. I could tell she was like less than enthused. She's like, uh huh. Right. Sounds good. And I was like, I know you. And I was like, well, we always want to, we always try to do something a little bit fun for the past couple of years. So like last year we did Italian American. We did like garlic bread stuffing and creamed broccoli rabe and Negroni cranberries and got crazy turkey meatballs. <laughs> Man alive. So uh, this year we're doing a Middle Eastern Thanksgiving. So what's the meat portion? A live goat. And a live goat. Yes, we're going to sacrifice it at the table and <laughs> bite right into its raw flesh. Huh. Um, no, we're going to do uh, like a turkey roulade that's like braised cool. with like preserved lemons and stuffed with olives and dates and all of that kind of fun stuff. And then with the dark meat, I'm going to grind it mm-hmm. and do like turkey kebabs. Great. I forget what they're called when they're ground up but on a kebab. Um, I don't know. It starts remember. with like a K, yeah. I think. I'm going to mispronounce it, so I I'll just know. stop there. Yeah. Um, like that kind of stuff. What are you doing? I'm going to two. I have three Thanksgivings oh. now. Ooh, one is on, <laughs> one's on Wednesday, um, in the city, and then on actual Thanksgiving Day, I'm going to two friendsgivings. Oh, events! So wow. I'm going to be hauling wine. It's also I'm going from both corners of Brook. Well, not Brooklyn, but the boroughs, because I'll be at Windsor Terrace and then Long Island City. So Whoa. it's going to be nutty. Wow, that's crazy. Yes. You should build a monorail. I know. Monorail. I, I mean, they have a subway, but that's it. That's true. Take <laughs> the subway. It's easier. It's going to take like an hour, though. To build a monorail? Windsor Terrace to Long Island City. Yes, that's a long trip. It's like both ends of the G train. I would just stay home and burn something else in your apartment if I were you. <laughs> I should burn all of my clothes, because they probably smell like burnt, burnt lemons. lemons. <laughs> and let me tell you, burnt lemons just smell like burnt anything else. Yeah. Like, there's no... Cute lemony scent. It is not cute. No, it's not good. When I I went to, uh, I don't remember where I was, but I like Airbnb my old apartment in Bedside um, to like two Australian like dudes, which was (laughs) my first mistake. And I got back and it smelled like really burnt. And I forget what they said happened. But then later on, after threatening to basically have them arrested and murdered. (laughs) in no particular order um they confessed that they burnt a pizza and it smelled in my apartment i I thought they were smoking cigarettes in there but it smelled in my apartment for like three months or something yeah it's very intense and it like soaks into your paint and stuff you know what you should do actually uh maybe this is too boring for on air we could continue this conversation (laughs) afterwards but like kitty litter if you put kitty litter out because it's really absorbent yeah, I'm going to try everything. I even turned on my air conditioner because it actually does condition the air. Oh, wow. And I haven't taken it out of my window yet. Conveniently. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. Sometimes living alone and <laughs> also perhaps possibly dying alone has advantages. Exactly. Yeah. So I did left my air conditioner until November. It actually is a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Every cloud. Okay. So let's talk about something theoretically more interesting. <laughs> okay. Which Hopefully. is I chose two dishes that maybe aren't necessarily like my favorite things, but that fascinate me. And I was like, why, why do we eat these things at Thanksgiving? Like, why are they such a part of the iconography of Thanksgiving? And I thought that there was going to be some like conspiracy theory that, you know, goes all the way to the top and that's what, why we eat these things. But it turns out, no, it's just capitalism. Like everything else in America. Sure. Um, the two items are jellied cranberry and, green bean casserole mm. and both of these items are essentially part of Thanksgiving tradition because they were 
aggressively marketed to right. be so, and everyone just fell for it. People are strong-armed. Yeah. So I'm going to start with jellied cranberry. Yuck! Um, I love it. I like it too, but I I don't know. I like the look of it, but I don't really usually eat it. <laughs> I like everything about it. Can I ask you, though, do you prefer, if you had to eat it, would you do the smooth or the chunky? Smooth. Smooth. Yeah, of course. Just like the can-shaped log. Yeah, but the one that's chunky, I think, also comes out like a can. Oh, I actually didn't even With know chunks. that it was a chunky version. Yeah. More authentic. Yeah, that's Authentico. for us real foodies. Um, okay, so... Authentico. Here's this... Mamma mia. Here's a story of how jellied cranberry in a can came to be. Um... Cranberries, along with Concord grapes and blueberries, are the only... So a lot of people say that those are the only Native American fruits, Mm -hmm. but it's actually not true. There are others, but these are the only ones that are commercially grown as crops in the United States. So cranberries are native to the U.S. Um, They are low-lying vines like strawberries, and they grow in bogs, which I did not know. Are you serious? Yeah. Were you born under a bog? Yes. (laughs) No, then I would know about the cranberries. I I meant log. (laughs) I meant log. Um, you knew they were grown in Boston? Of course. Of course. I mean, I, I went to second grade and we visited a cranberry bog, I believe. Well, that's it. Well, so that's the thing. It's an, it's an East Coast it's, situation. It's so hoity, in the Midwest, we're just like, what? It comes from a kid. Can I surprise you with the fact that I happen to know about cranberries? Yes. That actually the largest state that produce the largest cranberry producing state is Wisconsin. So right. stuff so, that in your fucking can. And well, Wisconsin is really far away from Indiana. So <laughs> go suck on your own. <laughs> Cranberry. (laughs) (laughs) This friendship is over. All right, go. I'm sorry to keep interrupting. Um, No, I like it. Um, So, okay, apparently I was the only one who didn't know they grew in bogs, but they're layered much like bogs where we make scotch, like peat, sand, gravel, and clay. They were originally formed naturally from icebergs, but now, of course, we make them by hand. Right. Um, Some vines in Cape Cod are as old as 150 years old. Old. Whoa, that's <laughs> mad old. That's I like know. wine. That's like wine steez. Like, I know. It's really cool. I yeah, didn't. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Um, oh, so I know they should be like selling the like you know the old vine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this here cranberry is on a hundred and fifty year old vine in a bog. This bog was dragged out by a glacier. Um, and interestingly, there's not a lot of specifics about like because I really wanted to know why it became so prevalent, but there's not really definitive information on that we can only conjecture but we do know that it was already a strong enough american tradition to have cranberries at your thanksgiving table in this mm-hmm. during the civil war because general grant ordered that there be cranberry sauce Whoa. at the thanksgiving day meal that they had for the soldiers during the civil war that's extreme i know it's he must have had a bladder infection <laughs> <laughs> it's very rare for men to get this but it was a different time i guess that's true um so a hundred years ago the only way that cranberries were sold was as fresh fruit like they you know yeah. they didn't can them sure, sure. um and the thing about that is that they actually only have a very short harvest season from september to november so that explains part of it like why we have it at thanksgiving because mm-hmm. that's when they're being harvested sure um, there's some dispute about when exactly the first commercial bog came to be, but uh-huh. we know that by the early 19th century, cranberry, the business was in full swing and there was tons of competition, um, and everything was actually just, it was like a booming business. Yeah. Kind of. Um, then this guy named Marcus Uran. No! <laughs> Listen, I don't believe you about that part. That's his- Marcus Uran? Yeah. Like, are you gonna like, make a urine joke or a I was urine go- joke? Oh no, I was gonna make a urine joke oh. just again with the bladder infections. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Keep it a uh, line through. Keep it bla- yeah. a line through, a bladder line through. Exactly. Yeah, so he was a lawyer with a bladder problem, um, and he decided <laughs> he decided that he wanted to be a cranberry farmer, so he bought a cranberry bog. Whoa. Um, and he's actually the person who invented canning cranberries. So, like, he was like, well, we have to be able to extend the time that we can actually put cranberries out into the world, making more money, so sure. let's put it in a can. Um, so in 1912, they came up with this canned cranberry sauce. It's not the jellied cranberry yet, um, but it was canned cranberry sauce into the world. People were like, hooray. Um, and he also, he was like an inventory guy. He was really, it was like also like a shrewd, scary, bad business guy. But um, he also invented cranberry juice cocktail. Ooh. In then 1933. So yeah. That's all Mr. Uran. <laughs> Mr. Uran's life's work an obsession was cranberries. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. Um, he was also kind of like, he was very competitive and did some probably shady shit. Um, huh. And, but so, bef- well, during that time, he invented the jellied cranberry sauce, which came to be in 1941. So that's oh. the first time that it was actually the gel can shaped right. thing. Um, he essentially... Realize there, so like federal regulations was starting to impact farmers in a way that this guy was really worried about. So he convinced his competitors, even though he had like a vicious competitive relationship, he was like, "We should actually bound together and form our own corporation or whatever, so that we can fight against the federal regulators or whatever." Interesting. And so essentially, they started out and they were called the Cranberry something or other, but then they became Ocean Spray. Oh wow! Yeah, and Ocean Spray today is still. A collective of 600 independent farmers. Really? Yeah, so those guys on the cranberry commercials, like the Ocean Spray... They're not actors. They're real. They're real? I never believed that. Weird. I mean, they might still be actors. I didn't look it up. Um, And so, thanks to Mr. Uran, Americans eat 5,062,500 gallons of cranberry goo every holiday season. Wow, that's so much. That's Four million pounds per year. Ugh. Two hundred cranberries per can. Whoa. Um, twenty per six. Sorry, twenty six percent of American households make fresh cranberry sauce. Oh, I just made some the other day. Jerks. Um, I prefer it. Yes, but like you know, like there's, it's just you know, whatever, whatever you want to do, it's fine. I'll um, eat that stuff. I like cranberry <laughs> out of the can. Cranberry I like out of the too. can with a little great when gravy gets onto it, a little oh, sweet yeah. and salty. Totally, that's my vibe. Uh, umami. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but Snap only, into a cranberry. Only five percent of cranberries currently produced are sold fresh. The rest are all canned. Hmm, that's so fascinating. I know. I read a statistic that um, people who live within a certain close proximity to cranberry bogs are like. Um, much more uh, likely to get like brain cancer because Why? they use so many chemicals oh, in for the, the actual for the cranberry farming. Wow, that yeah, sucks. It does suck. What kind of stuff's in there? I thought it was just peat and gravel. No, that's not. Mm-mm. No, no, <laughs> they're very hard to grow, and so they right, use a they lot are. of chemicals. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Sucks. Darn know. it. I know. Just when you think you could just bite right into a can of cranberries, jerks. You can. I mean, I mean, I probably. I mean, if you eat one bite per year, yeah, one bite a year is probably okay. fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the next item up for grabs here is the green bean casserole. <clears throat> Yum. You like that? I do like it. Yes. I do too. Because of the mushy consistency of the green beans and also the crunchy onions. The, Although as yeah. a child, I would not eat it. Yeah, because yeah. It had vegetables in it. Um. So it was invented by Dorcas Riley. In <laughs> what is your problem? What's all this? <laughs> 
<laughs> Why are you doing this to me? You know I'm not mature enough to handle these names. I'm sorry. That's her name. Um, she invented it in 1955, originally calling it the Green Bean Bake. She was one of the first employees at Campbell's Home Ec Department, which was essentially their recipe testing. Oh, cool. Kitchen test kitchen developing area, whatever. Do we know why her parents named her Dorcas? Dorcas was a fairly common name. Oh. in like the thirties. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll let it. I'll allow it. It's not the first Dorcas I've come across <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> it's not the last. <laughs> The, the initial goal of the recipe development was to make recipes from stuff that people just had around the house already. So um, in 1934 is when cream of mushroom soup first kind of came out. But at the time, in the 50s, it was so widely used in the Midwest as a casserole filler, it was called the Lutheran Binder. What? <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's amazing. So much to think about. Like that's either like to me kind of sounds like a wrestler, like a really religious wrestler uh name, or like a wrestling move. Something about wrestling. To me, I thought of like some sort of binder for your body because you know, like religion. Oh yes, you know, like you know, totally, like you know, to keep you from having sex or having impure thoughts. Totally, put the Lutheran binder on you. Stick it on there. Whoa! (laughs) But it's actually cream of mushroom soup. So yuck! Yuck! Um, I actually like cream mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's the best. So this is a perfect example of essentially what I was talking about earlier, which is the food advertising at the time. So basically, they would develop recipes to give to the public that would increase demand for certain products. So they weren't like necessarily like organically coming up with recipes and like, oh cream mushroom soup would be great in this they're like use cream mushroom soup so people will buy it more Mm -hmm. and figure out ways to do that um there's a really cool book that's called um american advertising cookbooks how corporations taught us to love spam bananas and jello by christina ward and she basically just talks about how like nobody ate bananas yeah and they i mean the banana thing is also horrible oh yeah Um, bananas are evil but they basically use advertising cookbooks to change the way that people eat and made food and it like worked really well and um it's just really interesting and fascinating slice of american time that's still with us today like that advertising is why we still eat green bean casserole and that canned jellied cranberry it's fascinating it is it's very interesting um they printed the recipe on a can of campbell's curry mushroom soup and that's when things really like took off and exploded which i think is actually genius yeah um it's really genius it's very smart to think of a world before there were recipes on items is fascinating to me i think it started if i'm correct if i'm not mistaken because um, i did a story about chocolate chip cookies one time mm-hmm. with the toll house cookie recipe i think that's around the time when they started doing recipes on bags that's that was definitely one of the earlier ones yeah um interestingly when they changed the size of the bags they changed the recipe really so it called for whatever size bag oh they changed it to. wow that's so interesting <clears throat> um so yeah and essentially there is also no exact moment when everyone started eating green bean casserole at Thanksgiving. It's just another one of those things that just became wildly popular and now is powerfully nostalgic. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because the generations now are not even around anymore that they were actually, like, the first ones eating it, but it's just something that's carried over and over and over again. Right. Um, and it's still with us today, which I think is really interesting. Um, I do, too. They make uh, a Trader Joe's now, just so you know, they make, like, a fried onion thing that's mm. like a ripoff of whatever French is fried onions and they're delicious. They are delicious. Very high calorie though. Quite. Um, <laughs> so every year 20 million American homes make green bean casserole for Thanksgiving. Um, 40% of canned mushroom sales are for green bean casserole. 
Oh, wow. Only 40%. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> um, and the other ones are just for, like, Lutheran binders? Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. And then Dorcas died in 2018, so just oh last gosh. year. Uh, she was 92. But oh, my God. But in 2002, Campbell's donated the original handwritten card with the Green House rule on it to the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Cool. I know. That's, That's cool. amazing. That's a good story. I love it. Very heartwarming. Yeah, very heartwarming and esophagus warming <laughs> and mouth warming. Cool, cool. Those are great stories. I'm like very interested in uh, in both of them. And we never really had uh, the green bean casserole thing growing up at my house, but oh, I always wished it. we did. Yeah. And I've like had it like nibbles of it at other people's houses, but I kind of want to like actually make it like the real version. I've had both versions where they make it with fresh green beans and canned mm-hmm. and. I feel like the canned ones, even though I hate canned vegetables for the most part, yeah. the texture is what you're really going for. Yeah, you want to mush, right? But canned green beans have a very specific flavor that's kind of gross. I've never had them. They're just, I don't know. So I think you should make them with fresh. Fresh, but, but just like long cook the beans. Yeah, long cook the beans and like slice them thin. Until they're brown. Yeah. <laughs> burn okay. them. Uh, burn them with some lemon. Until they coat the bottom of your pan. <laughs> With a black sludge. That sounds great. Okay, cool. On that note, let's take a quick break, and we will be back with some more riveting content. Goodbye. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper-awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. And we're back. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that commercial break. We did. We loved it. Um, we are just chit-chatting like a bunch of old so-and-sos here and about to get into some very interesting uh, Thanksgiving tales. Now, my story today is a little bit n- non-traditional. Last year for Thanksgiving, I did the story of the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I talked a lot about turkey pardoning, so I kind of feel like I exhausted a lot of, like, there's actually not as much historical content about, like, fun, wacky Thanksgiving stories as one would hope. <laughs> because of its dark past? Well, yes, because of the murder <laughs> and the, you know, pillaging, raping, <laughs> disease spreading, taking over land that doesn't belong to you type mm-hmm. thing. <clears throat> so I found, like, little things. I told Nicole last night, I was like, I'm going to do herbs. And when I came in today, I was like, I'm not doing herbs anymore. And she was like, oh, I'm so sad. I was wondering about what the, the history of herbs was all about. Um Really, all I told her really all I had was uh, Paul McCart, uh, what you call it, Simon Garfunkel. God damn it! <laughs> Cut Tired. This Cut this out. Cut all of this. <laughs> Jeez. Cut it out. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, leave it in. Anyway, I was going to talk to us about Simon Garfunkel, Sage, Rosemary, and Time. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't a lot of content there, <laughs> so I went in a different direction. First, I'm going to start you off with a joke. Please hold on to your butts. Um, what happens when you're too harsh on cranberries and make them sad? You're too harsh on cranberries? Yeah, and you make them sad. I don't know. They turn into blueberries. Oh. <laughs> That's not true. It's not. But it's cute. It's funny. Maybe chuckle on the train. Both Native American fruits, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, okay. So, I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guess what it's about. I'm going to fi- reveal it in a couple of paragraphs in. Okay. So, some credit... Clarence Birdseye with inventing frozen meals. Some don't. (laughs) (laughs) He developed a system of packing and flash freezing baked food, uh, fresh food back in 1923, the same year that Sir Richard Attenborough was born. That's just a little trivia that I added in. Very nice. Because I know you love Jurassic Park. I do. 
The TV dinner can actually trace its history to planes because on airplanes. Wait, sorry, I, I just have one question. Please. Did you look up the year 1932 for famous people that were born during 1923? It? I did. Yes. And he just happened to be one. Yes. Amazing. That's. I mean, there was a couple others, right. a handful. <laughs> That's the one I picked because particularly because I knew you would appreciate it. Thank you. Um, okay, so the TV dinner kind of had its history in airplane food because a company called Maxon Foods and Maxon Food System began manufacturing frozen compartmentalized meals to heat up on airplanes uh, in the year 1945, the same year Rod Stewart was born. People were flying around in airplanes in 1945. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. Crazy. Um, so in my notes, it, I, it autocorrected to say EOD Stewart, but I know that it was really Rod Stewart. Um, okay, these were called strato plates, and strato plates featured three compartments for a meat, a vegetable, and a potato, and they were incredibly easy to heat and to serve. So this is essentially the framework for the TV dinner. I've just given away what my topic is. Ah. It's the TV dinner, and there's going to be a reason that it's related to Thanksgiving. Um, okay, so following the footsteps of the Max and Food System, a gentleman named Jack Fisher started Friggy Dinners, uh, in what? the late 1940s. They were called Friggy, friggy Dinners. Friggy? F-R-I-D-G-I Dinners. Friggy. Friggy Dinners. <laughs> That's what I said, isn't it? <laughs> friggy Dinners. <laughs> Everybody get crazy. It's time for Friggy Dinners. Dinners on the table. First, it's in the Friggy. Um, okay, frozen dinners to be sold at bars and taverns. It didn't really take off, though, mm. until two brothers named Albert and Meyer Bernstein started a company called Frozen Dinners, Inc. Really uh, creative. Creative, yeah. In 1949, don't know who was born in that year, probably no one, which sold frozen dinners <laughs> in Pittsburgh area under a brand name called One-Eyed Eskimo. So back then, that's also what... I, in my notes, it says under problematic. Yeah, One-Eyed Eskimo. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing sounds wrong. Um, <laughs> Although Eskimo isn't derogatory. Is I'm not going to go for the penis joke here. No. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Me neither. I'll go for the vagina joke. Um, but I. So did microwaves exist in 1949? Or they, oh, no. were they cooking them in the oven? They ovens? baked them in the oven. Okay, okay, got yeah. it, got it. So in 1954, again, no one born in that year, when Swanson Foods, which was already uh, known for canned and frozen foods, they started selling a frozen dinner of its own, which was launched as a huge marketing advertising push with the new name TV Dinners. Ah. So, a salesman named Jerry Thomas, uh, worked for Swanson, had visited Pan Am in Pittsburgh and saw what they were doing with the airlines, and this was an answer to a problem because Swanson had for some reason overordered Thanksgiving turkeys by a 260 tons. Oh, they had a no. 260 ton surplus of turkeys that they were uh, putting in railroad cars, like refri- like frozen frozen <laughs> railway cars, I guess. They're not alive anymore. They're already dead. They're dead, yeah. Process. Yes, they were dead and they were in like freezers. That, that were, is like, a railroad big cars. mistake. It's a huge, <laughs> uh oh, it's a big oops. Am I right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen and germs? Um, huh. So they needed to figure out what to do, and that was this guy's solution. So he kind of became known as the father of the TV dinner. Um, so sorry, hold on. So no, no, go ahead. This guy, 26 tons of extra turkeys. There, exactly. There's two, 260 <clears throat> tons of extra turkey. And he is like, the only way that we can 
process this is to come up with a whole like he basically the solution to the problem was he invented TV dinners on the spot exactly because wow. like the whole company was like what are we going to do with this um, and he had just seen what they were doing with pack, pre-packaging and freezing dinners for airplanes so he's like why don't we do this and market it as something for our company and we'll put like some some of this some of that and it's going to be marketed as a frozen basically Thanksgiving dinner it's fascinating it is also that's really was the golden era of like ingenuity advertising yeah. and stuff like that totally yeah, crazy. absolutely it's all very Mad Men, although a bit pre-Mad Men, but pretty much around the same time. Um, so they pack the first meal they did was turkey, cornbread stuffing, peas, and sweet potatoes. Um, and like TV was just getting popular at that time, so they were like marketing on TV. The box was a TV, oh. like a little thing with like little dials. That year, Swanson sold two uh, twenty-five million TV dinners, uh, and they were ninety-eight cents per package. Seems expensive. It seems like a, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I guess, because in today's money, that's like over $300, right? It's very yes, expensive. Yes, it, it was very high class. <clears throat> so Betty Cornyn, a bacteriologist, which sure. I think is just like the most fascinating job that I've ever heard, being a bacteriologist yeah. and gross. Who decides you, to do you that? You shouldn't do it as a hypochondriac, it's, I don't think. Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> it's like deciding to become like a gynecologist. It's like, <laughs> who disgusting. wants to spend that much time with this product? <laughs> wow i mean really like oh i love bacteria so much anyway betty um gave the credit to gilbert and clark swanson for coming up with the concept of tv dinners uh even though like this other guy was they said that he came up with it it doesn't really matter but she said they kind of were the ones who came up with it why is she the one who decides who gets credit for i don't know i guess because <laughs> she loves bacteria so much she thinks she's a goddamn expert and everything huh, okay um so she worked on the project, and she was the one who, like, tried to make sure that everything would heat at the right time. So she's like, oh, we have turkey, we got peas, we have cornbread. Like, what if the turkey gets dry by the time that, like... Right. You know, so she was, like, really integral part of doing that. It's interesting that they cared about that. I know. Because it doesn't seem like they'd actually made it into the... I don't think TV dinners are... Are, like, great. Good. No, yeah. they're not at all. Um, so in this, like in this first ad I was reading I was like it only takes 25 minutes at 425 <laughs> degrees which sounds like so long it's, it's, it's like cooking a whole turkey I mean 425 degrees is extremely high and like 25 minutes it just seems like it would be kind of like your lemon situation yeah burnt and you would be needing new cabinets but anyway uh, people loved it I guess but it's frozen when you put it in there it's frozen so... it still seems I mean I guess that makes sense I don't know it I cook high. a frozen pizza. And it's twenty five minutes. Twenty minutes for twenty five. Okay, and it's fine. Well, there you go. Um, so another interesting thing about TV dinners is that it promoted feminism because it was a way for women to not have to spend time cooking all the time. Okay, and this like you know, it like coincided with women getting out of the kitchen, so to speak. Sure. So the National Women's History Museum points out TV dinners did more than just feed families. Their convenience and quick cook time gave women who usually did all or most of the cooking more time out of, uh, out on their own to pursue jobs and other interests while still providing a hot meal for the families. One of the first advertisements for Swanson featured a woman pulling a Swanson dinner out of her grocery bag and promising her husband, I'm late, but dinner won't be. That's good. I know. That she won't. She still, he still expects her to cook the meal, which is 
bad, but... Well, and apparently this guy, Jerry Thomas, who created TV dinners, would get a lot of, like, hate mail being like, why did you create these TV dinners? Now my wife doesn't cook anymore, and I want her to cook a homemade meal like my mommy used to. And Jerry Thomas was like, sorry, brah, I'm a millionaire. I don't care. <laughs> don't write me, dude. Not my chair, not my problem. <laughs> also, I like that this husband, like, she's late, and the husband is just sitting there waiting for her instead of maybe starting to cook something on his own. Or heating his own goddamn TV dinner. Get your own fucking TV dinner, bro. I know. Salisbury steak. Ooh, Gotta be honest, loved the Salisbury steak. So I remember having TV dinners a lot when I was a kid. I was very much a latchkey kid. Mm -hmm. And I would be responsible for heating up my own TV dinners. And I remember the ones where like a dessert also came in them. But like everything sloshed around. So you'd take out like a Salisbury steak. It would come (laughs) with like maybe some like potatoes, Salisbury steak, like uh, cranberry or something. And then like a brownie that was covered in gravy. Yeah, well, you're supposed to leave the cellophane on it a little bit, I think, to help Okay. I I don't know. I mean, I remember that you poke a fork in it to yeah. like break the seal but right. also we had kid cuisine is what we oh ate yeah i had those too they had the little dessert brownie in the middle yes. thing. but do you um, remember those like sauce always getting on the dessert i don't remember that um i also just be like there was a lot of like chicken nuggets which is the worst possible thing to microwave you i know don't it's want disgusting. so mushy I loved TV dinners back in the day, but I mostly actually just loved, like, um, Stouffer's mac and cheese, just, like, straight up. Oh, yeah. My mom used to get the French bread pizzas. Oh, that's dope. All the time. That shit is dank. Um, yeah, that was, those are great. Really, really good. Um, so, microwave dinners didn't come around until 1986, the same year Desi Arnaz died. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so... (laughs) <laughs> Microwaves didn't were invented before 1986, though. Yeah, 1986 is when the... I don't know when the microwave was invented, but that's when the microwavable TV dinner came out. That's crazy. That's so late in the game. I know. It seems weird. So people were just baking their TV dinners in the oven until 1986. Until 1986. When I was six years old. I had been alive for six years. Yeah. You were alive during the time when uh, of the baking. Yeah. I was. Yeah. Right? Because all those five years before that... People were putting them in the oven. Yeah. My mom was just telling me this morning that she, how much she used to love TV dinners, which is cute. I don't know. I think, I feel like it must've been a little bit better or worse, but like, I just think you get them now. Everything is so mass produced now. Yeah. I feel like I remember when kid cuisine sort of changed, like the quality changed and I noticed it as a kid. And I was like, say anything? No, I didn't write them you a letter. You didn't tell an adult? Like, Why did you change this quality of... Um, <laughs> My fish sticks are so soggy. <laughs> they're like... Um, yeah, and then like the quality just changed. I feel like the same thing happened with Lunchables. Oh, yeah. And um, But I also was thinking about frozen dinners in general, which I now just never even think about or eat. No. But I used to eat lean cuisine all the time in college because it's like low calorie. Sure. Um, I used to buy like... 10 of those at a time yeah and just, just like pack them in. heat them up in the microwave and sure. have you know whatever the hell i know my dad and i like used to get into it so like my dad as you know but maybe some of the listeners don't um was sick with cancer for like 10 years and i would go down there a bunch and i would cook for him and i would always like i mean i wouldn't cook him the healthiest things because at a certain point i was like it doesn't matter he's yeah. not gonna like get any better and he was overweight whatever but i would freak the fuck out when i would see that he would have lean cuisines in the freezer because i'm just like this is just like, no offense to anyone who eats lean cuisine out there. This is just my personal issue with my father. Because I knew he probably also was eating, like, five of them at a time. Sure. And it was just, like, crap. And I would get so mad and I'd throw them out. And that's just, like, my kind of my, was my biggest anger with him. I don't know why. Sure. I mean, I mean, it's very processed. And so you don't want it to 
be, you know. Yeah, but he ate so much other processed stuff. Like, he always had chips and candy and cookies and stuff, and, like, that didn't bother me. It was something about hmm. that. Because I think it was because, like, I would make him frozen meals that were, like, good, and then I'd come down there, maybe it would still be a couple of the frozen meals that I made in the freezer, but also lean cuisines. Oh, so, so it was, like, a personal attack. Yes, it felt like a personal <laughs> attack. Exactly. I think, you know, I remember enjoying lean cuisines and being like, how can they have all of these items for only 200 calories? <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that, like, frozen dinners, like, a lot of things are can just be nostalgic, and it's, like, not even good. It's just, you know, it's good to you, because you remember it. Kind of like Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. Mm, I still think that that's good. I haven't had it in a long time, but I bet it would be. It's really good. I like two packets of cheese in it, though. Ew. What do you mean? I Ew. think one is enough. You think? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. I like it a little watery with two packets of cheese. Interesting. I know. I'm a fucking psycho. So what are your tips for having a kind of stress-free Thanksgiving? <laughs> and our so chef recommends. My tips are to not cook the meal and just be a guest, <laughs> which is what I'm planning on doing for the three Thanksgivings that I'm going to. It is a little stressful to think about which wines to bring. Yes. Yeah. Like, I know that... The first one I'm going to, they don't care about wine, so I can bring the cheap sparkling wine from where I work. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's perfectly good, but you know. Yeah. Um, and then the other two that I'm going to on actual Thanksgiving Day is full of wine, knowledgeable snobs, so I kind of want to right. impress them a little bit, but I don't want to spend like $350. So Sure. Um, that is stressful. I think the best thing that you can do is plan ahead. Um, totally. And if you work in a restaurant, buy from your wine list. It's really fun to be able to do that. Um, And, yeah. The other thing that I think I've learned from other people who always cook Thanksgiving is to actually just plan ahead. So, like, make sure that you are doing small things. Like, you can make the dough now. You can um, basically set up all the dishes that you're going to put stuff in and label it. That's what Sam Sifton just told us in the New York Times Mm -hmm. newsletter today. Yeah. Yeah. and I was like, that sounds stressful. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, just kind of also just kind of take it with a grain of salt. You're hanging out with your friends. Like, totally. It's not, no one is ever going to be like, oh my God, this fucking Thanksgiving was disgusting. No, it doesn't matter. It's all you remember the actual like community with your friends and not the totally. turkey. Agreed. Um, I think that a couple of things are could make it easier are one, which I did last year, if you're having a big Thanksgiving, rent a proofer. Mm. So like a proofer is like a for anyone out there who doesn't know what that is, is like a metal hot box basically. Yeah. That runs on sternos and you can rent one for like a hundred dollars and they'll usually deliver it to your house if you like call a local rental company. Cause that way you don't have to worry about or like rent some chafing dishes or stuff like mm-hmm. that. So you, I think one thing that people like really freak out about Thanksgiving is like timing about like, oh, I don't have enough room in my oven or enough burners in my stove. So getting things like induction burners or chafing dishes or renting a proofer can make it like really a lot easier. Sure. Um, also alcohol, drugs, yeah. Xanax. Yeah, Bon Appetit this year was like, here's some things that'll help you. And it was like, don't drink for a change. And I was like, that feels very judgmental. That was so irritating that it lit my skin on fire. And I also, I just think it's frustrating because like the whole like sober curious, I don't know. It just feels like they're hopping on a trend. And I found it to be very irritating and insulting and 
judgmental. I, I agree. It was Bon Appetit. And also it was very like hypocritical because mu- much of Bon Appetit is always about like, drink this, try this drink thing. Like do this right. drink, make this cocktail. This yeah. is good. This is boozy. And it's like, it totally was jumping on a trend of, and which is a, a good trend if that's what you want to totally. do of like being sober and not drinking or even like low ABVs or like right. NA drinks. That's cool. But and, like, like thinking about like drinking over a long period of time is helpful to actually like be like, well, let's start with something low alcohol or not you know start totally. off the seltzer or whatever but not to be like don't drink for a change I was like I know you're actually talking to yourself you drunks at Bon Appetit <laughs> I know <laughs> I don't need to be involved in this I know agreed exactly <laughs> it sounds like a personal problem um, for a top three what are your top three favorite Thanksgiving foods uh, top three Thanksgiving foods are mashed potatoes mm-hmm. rolls oh rolls wow yeah. surprise really I mean, rolls are great. I just wasn't expecting you to say that. Yeah, I almost never even eat the turkey. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm I not just surprised by that. I don't care about yeah. it, and I don't, whatever. Um, and then my family actually makes, this is all white starches, mm-hmm. um, but they make, uh, like, little egg noodle, not egg noodles, but, like, little hand, homemade noodles um, that they just serve, like, alongside of everything. Wow, like so, spatzel? Kind yes, of? exactly. Yum. That's really cool. I know. It's super good. I mean, they haven't had it in the last couple of years because I haven't been home for Thanksgiving. But um, Oh, that's good. It's very good. So all of the white things that they have at Thanksgiving are my favorite. The sure. bread, the mashed potatoes, the noodles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a time <laughs> for indulgence of carbs. Am I yeah. right, ladies? Mm-hmm. And uh, so mine are... I love stuffing. I can't lie. Oh, right. I forgot. I love stuffing also. You can have four. It's fine. I Great, love stuffing... You. Um, I love cream spinach. Oh yeah, that's not something that we ever had. Really? I feel like you probably don't need cream spinach and green bean casserole both. Yeah, that's a it's a very similar couple things. And my number one favorite thing is my mom's corn pudding, which she hasn't actually yeah. made in a couple of years. But I love corn pudding, like it's a corn delicious. souffle. It's so good. And I like gravy on everything. Mm-hmm. And I like everything like to mix together a little bit, like a yeah. bite with of this and a bite with that. I am kind of, like, missing... Yeah, I do really love doing traditional Thanksgiving food. So I'm like, oh, you know, we're doing, like... Last year we did Italian. This year we're doing Middle Eastern. So I'm like, eh, I miss the, like, traditional flavors of Thanksgiving a bit. But I don't know. Maybe next year we'll just go back. You can also just make it any day of the year. That's 100% true. Break I make, out of the mold. Yeah. Break out of the cranberry... Can cranberry mold. <laughs> Am I right? Bring mm-hmm. that... Circle that joke back. Right to the beginning. Yeah. Well, I hope that you have an awesome Thanksgiving. I am sad that I'm not going to be seeing you. I know. Um, I'm just going to basically sit and cry all day. Same. Yeah? Yeah. That's sad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I actually like made sure to come back from Italy that I would have time to not only do this episode, of course. Of course. But to do Thanksgiving. And they didn't understand those darn Italians. They're not even Italian. They're expats from America. That's true. They're not from America. They're from Australia. And oh, then okay. The rest of the world. However... They do not understand Thanksgiving. Although, my friend Alex's husband is American, and he understands Thanksgiving. They have it in Canada, too. They do? Yeah, in October. Con- in October? Well, it's not American Thanksgiving. It's like their own deal. Got it. I mean, they also... What are they giving thanks they for? They also displaced many Native American people, so... That's true. Uh, <laughs> that's what they're giving thanks for. Oh, Canada. <laughs> I need to get up there. You ever been to Canada? Yeah, eh? a couple times. You have? Yeah. You like it? I don't know. I think th- I went there for an exchange program with my marching band when I was in middle school. What the hell? And then I went, it's very close to, like, I went to Detroit, and then it's right across oh, the mm-hmm. border there, so we went across to the casino. Oh. Because you can drink younger there oh. than you can in the U.S. Can so. I ask you a personal question? Yes. What instrument did you play? 
Oh, the clarinet. Oh, I knew that for some reason. You did, yes. Either you told me or it just I can see it all over your face. Yeah. <laughs> I look like a clarinet. <laughs> okay, guys. That was a fun episode. <laughs> did you have a good time? I had a great time. Yeah, me too. We laughed. We live, laugh, love, my motto. <laughs> it's wine o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Isn't it, ladies? Okay. Should we get the hell out of here? Yeah, let's go. Let's blow this frozen banana sand. See you later. Bye. Oh, wait. Hasta la pasta. <laughs> Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. 